Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series A Father's Farewell, a study of the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, and through him to all the sons and daughters of God. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. 2 Timothy today, and we're going to be doing the first of really two parts. I'm going to take 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26, and I'm going to preach on it for two weeks. Uh, it's a little bit longer passage, and I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled on how to do this. In fact, I already had my outline pretty much done and decided I need to split this in half. So then I had to kind of go back and redo things uh, and looking at it, because as you're going to see, it's some, uh, one commentator compared it to a symphony. There's a lot of Paul kind of starts something and then it recedes and something else comes in and then he kind of goes back to the other theme. So I'm going to take two weeks to try and deal with it. So we're going to look at uh, 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26. It's there in your booklet. It'll be up here on the screen. And so I encourage you to read along and hear now the words of our sovereign creator, Redeemer, our Lord, our King. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. As we look at this passage, it might have struck you. I remember being a young believer and reading this, and Paul here uses some medical language. And in fact, he uses medical language throughout the pastoral epistles. 
Some of them are obvious, like here in verse uh, 17, where he says their teaching is going to spread like gangrene. Uh, this infection that spreads. It's a very uh, striking phrase that he uses. But some other ones are not as clear to us. When Paul had told Timothy back in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, that there's the sound pattern of teaching that he's given. The word sound is actually a medical term. It actually is used for people who are healthy. In other words, it's the opposite of the teaching that spreads like gangrene. There is this healthy teaching. There is teaching that both infects and makes people sick and teaching that leads to health. And so Paul in this passage is now turning for one of the key themes that run throughout the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and that is how can a local church be protected from the infection of false teaching so that the church can be healthy? What does it take to do that? And so this week and next, we're going to break this passage into two weeks, and we're going to talk about fighting the good fight for the faith and the two parts that Paul talks about. And largely the first part this week is kind of positive, and then next week will be more the negative of, of the things that we need to put down. So how does he do this? Well, the first thing that Paul uh, says to Timothy regarding this is, uh, in our parlance, the best defense is a good offense. Okay, the best defense is a good offense. So he says before he turns to Timothy and how Timothy addresses false teaching, he begins by telling Timothy that you must work hard to positively preach the truth of God's Word. So notice in verses 14 and 15, Paul says there in verse 14, which is the very beginning of this new section, keep reminding them of these things. The NIV's got the, the phrase keep reminding them because it's, it's actually an imperative, uh, but it is a present imperative. It is a, it's a constant need. Timothy, you must remind them of these things, but it's not one time. You're going to have to keep doing this day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year. You are going to have to keep reminding them of the sound teaching, the healthy teaching, these things that I've been talking to you about, how to grow strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David. You are going to have to keep reminding the people around you of these things. And then he uses in verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And so again, there's a command here to Timothy, and that command is you must do your best. You must labor over this. You are going to have to do hard work. If you've been a Christian for a long time or been around the King James Version much, you may have heard its translation that's kind of famous, which is study to show thyself approved. Okay, And sometimes we like to use that to say, Paul's telling us here we got to study the Word of God. Now, I'm partial to wanting to talk about the importance of study, but that's not really a good translation of what's going on here. This isn't a word that's used for study or 
uh, or mental exercise. Rather, it's a statement that this is going to take hard work. Timothy, if you're wanting something easy, sign up for a different task. Because what I'm calling you to do to fight off this infection of false teaching is going to take hard work that is going to need to be done constantly again and again and again. That's what's going to be required for you to do this. And the task is to be an approved worker. The idea is, Timothy, you need to prepare yourself, you need to labor hard so that when you are done with your task, when you are teaching the Word of God and you've completed it, you don't need to be ashamed. He goes back to that word, you know, a worker does not need to be ashamed. But the idea here is not that Timothy would be ashamed of the gospel, but he would be ashamed and say, that was kind of shoddy what I just did. I did, I did not labor hard enough at the task that I was given. I'm a little bit embarrassed to put my name on that particular task. You know, when we think of a workman or an artist, you know, an artist signs uh, their piece of work, or if, if you were, you know, like a carpenter, like, should I go to work for, you know, like Greg Younger? He would probably be embarrassed at the end when I completed my carpentry work and if I signed Younger Construction. Greg would go in and take that off and say, no, that, that, that would leave me ashamed of the quality of work that was done. And Paul builds on this metaphor, and he says that you are correctly handling the word of truth. Uh, in the old King James, it said rightly dividing. But the, the term here actually means to cut a straight line. It was used of men who did like uh, stonemason work, and if they cut the, the stone straight so that it could be easily put in, that's the word that was used. It's actually used nowhere else in the New Testament. It's only used a couple of times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. One of them is in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You may have heard where it says, you know, that the Lord will make your paths straight. That's the word that's used here. Timothy's being told, you've got to be skilled. You've got to be labored. You've got to put yourself to this because you need to, you need to cut straight with the word of God. You don't want to do a shoddy job because if you do, you're leaving an opportunity for this false teaching to come in. You are leaving an opportunity for this infection, this sickness to come in. And part of it, as we're going to see in a, in a couple of minutes, is the cutting the straight line also means don't get distracted and swerve off into side issues, Timothy. There are important things that you need to focus on. And people are going to want to pull you aside into all kinds of silly quarrels. Don't get involved in that. Stick to the task. Stick to what you've been given. Paul brings this up later in verses 24 and 25. He has kind of a similar point. He's talking here about the Lord's servant. And a lot of this section really applies first and foremost to Timothy and those qualified men that he's having there as he's raising up elders there in Ephesus and their task. And he says, look, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. We'll spend a lot of time on that next week. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, and he must be able to teach in the qualifications for an elder. It speaks about being able to teach, understanding the truths of the faith, and being able to pass them on. Because Paul's saying, Timothy, if you can't do this, you can't really protect the flock. Okay? It'd be like a doctor who doesn't understand how to help people get healthy. 
Timothy, you have to know what you're doing and you have to be able to teach it. Notice he says further in verse 25, uh, those who oppose me must gently instruct. And the idea here with gently instruct is that he's patiently working to help people understand and apply the truth of God's word. They're going to hear false things. They're going to start to get swayed. And Timothy, you've got to go back day after day. You've got to be a shepherd. You've got to call them back to the path by teaching the word of God. Now, this is such an important point. Paul, in kind of his rousing uh, introduction to the end of the letter, is going to come back to this again. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Timothy, preach the word. And I should even say, I, I'm not quoting verse 1, but he gives this strong, in the, uh, in the uh, view of Christ Jesus and his appearing, I give you this charge. Timothy, Jesus Christ is going to come back. You're going to stand in front of him. And based on the fact that you're going to stand in front of him, here's what I'm telling you to do. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season. Out of season. Correct. Rebuke. Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So notice what he's telling Timothy here. You have a task to preach the word. When people say, I want to hear the word, you preach the word. When people are not interested and they say, I would rather have something else, you preach the word. When people are actually turning against it in a hostile, Timothy, you preach the word. The response of the hearers does not change your task. You are called to know what is best and what is important. It would be as if I went to a neurosurgeon and I had some terrible tumor and the neurosurgeon is laying out what needs to happen. See, he doesn't base what he says based on, well, I don't agree with you because I read something. I've spent five minutes on the internet. Okay? If that surgeon listens to me, he's not doing his job. He knows what I need. I don't. He needs to tell me what's going to bring me health. Timothy, preach the word. Leave the results to God. You do what you're called to do. And notice here that he says that you've got to uh, preach the whole word. You correct. You rebuke. You encourage. What this means is you're not... See, there's passages of Scripture that are fun to preach. There are passages that are encouraging. God wants to bless you. He wants to increase you with us. Those are fun to teach. And there are people who never leave those because that's what people want to hear. But Timothy, you can't do that. Yes, you're going to encourage. You're also going to correct and you are going to rebuke. And I was actually looking at this this morning, just glancing because I was wondering, in the Greek, those are imperatives. I command you, Timothy, correct them. I command you, Timothy, rebuke them. I command you, Timothy, encourage them. Do all of those. Because if you're going to preach the whole counsel of God, there are encouraging passages. And there are passages that rebuke us in our sin. There are passages that correct us 
and call us out of our way. It is all necessary. And then notice he ends with, and you have to do this with great patience and careful instruction. Timothy, you're going to have to keep coming back to this because sheep, which is what we all are, wander. And you're going to have to keep calling them back. They're going to hear and say, yes, I'm in line with the Word of God. And then they're going to hear something tomorrow, and we start to wander aside. And you've got to call them back patiently, week after week after week. Timothy, devote yourself, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, the public reading and the teaching of the Word of God. Week after week, give yourself to this over and over and over again. It's going to require patience. It's going to require thought. It's going to require careful instruction to make sure you're delivering the whole Word of God. This is what the call is to Timothy. And this is why he said, Timothy, it's going to take hard work. You're going to have to give careful, deep, thought to what is going on here. But it's the first step in protecting the church from false teaching is the constant practice of teaching the truth of Scripture. The best way to protect from sickness is consistent, healthy practices. Now, this is hard for us as Americans because, see, I want to be a guy who smokes 12 packs of cigarettes a day and goes to the doctor and the doctor says you have COPD and emphysema and you need to stop smoking and I say isn't there a pill you can give me and what's the answer no you need to stop the stuff that's destroying you you need to start doing practices that are healthy for you how about if you get off your tail and you start exercising how about if you eat healthier food how about if you started you know getting good sleep and engaging in healthy practices but see we want to line up and I just want a pill it does not work that way first step is the healthy teaching of the Word of God and so this means for us that a local church that does not stress as of first importance the sustained, careful teaching of the great truths of God's Word is going to become sick and it's going to be susceptible to the infection of false teaching. And here the, the adjectives are stressing the sustained, careful line upon line, week after week, moving through all the parts of God's Word, this is what we need as the church of God. And leaders have to give themselves to the hard work of teaching the Word of God with a great focus on the key things, the essential things, the central things of the Word of God, because it is the best antidote for false teachings. So I encourage you, if this should, I hope you understand, this takes a lot of work. You need to pray for the, the teaching team that we have here. I do a lot of the teaching, but we've got a whole team of people. It requires great work. The guys that are going to be preaching while I'm on sabbatical this summer have already started working on what they're getting ready to teach. Because if you give 15 minutes preparation to it, it will not protect the church from infection. It takes labor. It takes hard work. 
And let me encourage you, never go to a place where it sounds like somebody gave slipshod presentation to preach the Word of God. It should be hard work. You can ask my wife, most days I come down from my office, my head is tired, I am worn out. It takes hard work. I wasn't real happy when on, on Wednesday I realized I need to split this in half. See, the temptation is, but it would be easier if I just do this. You cannot do that. It is too important to have the preaching of the Word of God accurately, consistently, week after week after week. The church must have this. Second part of this, just real briefly, and I'm not going to cover this much this week, is Timothy in doing this cannot be distracted by useless quarrels. So notice in verse 14, 16, and 23, he does this, and I'm going to expand on this next week, but he says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. That's part of that verse 14 with the command that, Timothy, you got to do, uh, you, you got to preach, keep reminding him of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. In verse 16, he says, avoid godless chatter. In verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I love that Paul's so blunt about that. These are foolish and they are stupid. Timothy, don't get sidetracked by quarrels about words. Don't get sidetracked into godless chatter. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. People are going to try and sidetrack you, get you off in all kinds of other things that are not your task. Stick to your task. And notice in the, the parts that are in the orange, sorry, it's a little bit harder to see, but he's telling you why. Don't warn them against, uh, before God against quarreling about words. Why? It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And actually the word ruin there is the Greek word katastrophe from which we get catastrophe. It's a catastrophe if you listen to this. Go ahead and heed this. We'll talk about it next week. But some of us spend far too much time listening to stupidity that is out there. And it is in the air in this culture. It is in the air. Secondly, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Do you see what he's saying? I'm telling you to do this because it's not that it's just a waste of time. It actually is harmful to you. It causes you to become more and more ungodly. And then thirdly, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Why? Because they produce quarrels. It's a feedback loop. You start with the quarrel. It drags you down. It's a catastrophe to you. You continue on in it. You start engaging in more and more ungodly behavior. Your words become more and more ungodly. And what does it do? It just starts the feedback loop all over again. We should probably put this on our computer screens or our phones before we engage in the, the majority of what is flowing around right now. And please hear me, I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum and you think, yes, those people know you. Your side is as full of as much useless, petty bickering over nothing. Do not get sidetracked. It is of 
no value, but it's full of infection. It'll infect your soul. We'll talk about that more next week. So, and this is so important for us to understand. We cannot get sidetracked. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. And people want to bring all kinds of other things in and say, but this is the gospel. If it is not something that God Almighty is going to look at on judgment day regarding whether I'm one of his people or not, it is not the gospel. It's something else. And that means it's of secondary importance at best. And much of what I hear that people want Oh, why don't we address this? Why doesn't the church get involved in that? It's not even secondary. It's not even tertiary. It's way down the line. But it's just a hot thing that's going on right now. So don't get distracted. Now, we'll look a lot more at that next week. There's a second part that is positive that Paul tells Timothy, and that is the power of a godly life. So Paul tells Timothy, you have to reinforce the truth with a godly life that you put on example before everyone. Notice in verse 19, Paul's picturing a building. You know, if you look at old buildings, you can see where they kind of stamp on the bottom who built the building, you know, when it was built, when the cornerstone was laid. And Paul says, in the cornerstone of the church, there's two inscriptions. And the first one is, the Lord knows those who are his. And the second one is, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now notice here, this is again a command. It's not an option. Well, if you want to confess the name of the Lord, it's a good idea as a second stage to turn away from wickedness. No, no, you must turn away from wickedness. And in fact, I, I didn't realize this until I was studying it, the, the phrase where it says everyone who names the name of the Lord or confesses the name of the Lord, it's, a, it's kind of an unusual Greek phrase. It literally is everyone who is naming the name of the Lord. And it's used a couple of times in the Old Testament. It's used in Leviticus 24, 16, and it's used in Isaiah 26, 13. And there it's actually translating from, from a Hebrew phrase that's saying, this is blasphemy. You are blaspheming God's name. When you embrace wickedness rather than putting wickedness away, it's not just that it's not healthy for you. God counts it as blasphemy. And that's what Paul brings up here. He says when you name the name of Christ, your conduct needs to line up with that. And then he goes on in verse 21, and he's picturing these things of, you know, there's different types of vessels in a house. And some of them are made of, you know, gold and silver and precious jewels. They're the kind of vessels you put out on the table for people to drink out of, you know, eat off of. They're, and then he says, and then there's other vessels. And I'll let you figure out what those other vessels might be used for. And they're used in a house. And it's not the kind of thing you bring out in public. And so they're full of things that are not good. And Paul says, if you want to be a servant of the Lord, you need to cleanse all that stuff out so that you can be a noble vessel. He kind of gets his metaphor a little bit mixed up as he's going along. Because what happens is you not only clean out the vessel, the very character of the vessel changes. It changes from an ignoble vessel to a noble vessel. It changes from one that's made of wood or clay into one that is made of a precious material. And Paul says, that's what you need to do. 
You need to cleanse yourself from these things. That means these false teachings, these silly quarrels, get rid of that stuff. Don't pay attention to it. Cleanse that stuff out. It also means you've got to cleanse yourself from sin and wickedness. We are in the season right now that the traditional church you know, is referred to as Lent, which is a season heading towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday, when traditionally the church says, let's take time to focus on asking the Lord to root sin out of our life, to clean us out, kind of like on, you know, before Passover, they had to run through the house. Parents used to teach their kids, go find all the leaven in the house, and the kids had to run around and seek it out. And we're asking the Holy Spirit, run around and seek out and find all that is wicked, everything that is not good. Show me so that I might be cleansed. Paul says that's what Timothy's supposed to do. Then in verse 22, he comes back and says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So notice there's a dual command. Flee evil desires. And he says youth, I think probably because young people are given to silly quarrels. And he says, stay away from that. Don't get involved in that. Run away from that, Timothy. And in fact, what you are to pursue and run off or notice its character. Pursue righteousness, faith, which could also be faithfulness, love, peace. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, this is what you need to pursue. You need to be putting out sin and you need to be embracing righteousness. This is, you're to, you're to be asking the Holy Spirit to develop godly character in your life. And in fact, this is so important. Paul's already told Timothy almost the exact same command in the previous letter. In 1 Timothy 6.11, notice how similar it is. But you, O man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And the next verse is fight the good fight. Okay, from which I'm naming these two teachings. Notice how similar it is. You're to pursue righteousness and faith and love are all in there. He's also added in godliness, endurance, and gentleness. It's clear that Paul wants Timothy to know it is essential for you to flee evil and false teaching and to actively pursue godly character. Now this is critical for leaders in the church. Never, ever, ever submit yourself to leaders because they're showy, they speak well, they draw a crowd, they do all this, and their character does not line up. And let me be clear, the path is strewn with the bodies of men of God who could preach one thing and they lived another. And the church, I mean, they're... There, there was a person that was very popular a number of years ago in evangelical circles, built the fastest growing church in America, and then was shown to be utterly lacking in character. And lest you wonder what I'm talking about, on Monday morning, staff meetings were full of F-bombs out of his mouth at the staff. He was eventually brought down for plagiarism and all kinds of other things, but he has a megachurch again. This is stupidity 
on a level I don't even know where to begin. But people will get pulled in because you know what? He's very gifted. He can preach. But there's no life. And he's going to reproduce that in the people around him. And see, and one of the problems, which we'll look at more next week, is that the false teachers and the, the wrangling about words and all so he's talking about, Paul says, all that ends up, it doesn't produce godliness in those who hear about it. You can see it's not actually bringing about change in their lives. It's not making them hunger after holiness. It's just making them want to quarrel with people. That is all that it is doing. We'll talk more about it next week, the Gnosticism, because Gnostics didn't care. They said it doesn't matter how you live now. But see, Paul says, no, it does matter how you live. Here's here's God's inscription. You must depart from evil. You must leave it. You must cleanse yourself. Now, this is so important. A verse I memorized years ago in 1 Timothy. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. And please hear this great promise. And this is given to Timothy and to those who would preach the word of God in a congregation. But I want you to hear, parents, you, need to, you, need, you ought to memorize this verse. Claim this for you and your children. Hear what Paul says. It says, be diligent in these matters. Again, note the hard work. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your progress, Timothy. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And the word, by the way, in Greek, the, the word sozo, to save, is also used to heal. Again, there's medical overtones. Timothy, there's infection. It's coming after. But I am telling you, if you will labor, if you will work hard, if you will study the Word of God, if you will make sure you know it, if you will clearly teach the Word of God, and if you are watching your life, Timothy, don't let sin come in. Don't get compromised. Timothy, if you will do that, it will protect you and it will protect the flock. It will put the infection down the second it tries to come in and get root. What an incredible promise of the Word of God. I mean, I cling to that promise. I cry out, Lord, I'm going to keep doing hard work. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. God, you need to protect BRCC from infection. God, keep us from false teaching coming in. Keep us from getting pulled aside into all of these sidetrack issues, all these quarrels, all this kind of crazy stuff. God, keep us on the path. Keep us standing on the Word. Lord, keep us doing that. And so to that, I want to know what I'm supposed to teach, and I want to watch my life and my doctrine closely. And parents, we should want to do the same thing in front of our kids. This is a great promise for the church of God. Now, how do we apply this? What does this uh, mean for us? And I'm going to look at two ways. Number one, fighting the good fight as a church. And then briefly, fighting the good fight as individuals and families. Number one, as a church, this text obviously applies to the church and her leaders. Okay, Paul is speaking to Timothy as a leader, and and he's been speaking about, Timothy, you're going to be raising up other men around you who've heard this, and you're passing it on, and they're going to... You're going to be doing this after I'm gone, Timothy, and then they're going to continue doing it after you 
are gone. And so the church has to be built upon the clear, consistent teaching uh, and focus of the Scripture with a great focus on the actual text and the essential doctrines of the faith. Okay, now, now hear what I'm saying there. You can hear, I'm astounded when I look, this is what I do for a living, so I check in and I hear other teachers that are of repute and I can listen to 10 or 15 minute clips and it's like, dude, throw me a Bible verse somewhere. Is there anything in there of the Word of God? You're telling all these funny stories, you're doing all this, you're not teaching me the Word. And let me tell you something, a church that is built on that, infection will come right in. There's no protection. You're not protected by my funny stories. You're not protected by my thoughts about this and that and the other. You're protected when the Word of God is taught. It's a, it's a weekly injection to protect your soul and to protect mine. But it is popular today to give to all kinds of other stuff. Instead of saying, last week we finished at this verse, we're going to pick up here, and we're going to preach to and we're going to turn. It takes a lot of work. And here's a secret for you. You know why preachers like to do it that way? It's easier. I can be lazy. I just step up, I pull out a little story, I do things. I don't have to dig through and say, what does this mean? How do I work over this? How do I labor? Lord, how do I pull this together? How do I explain this? That takes work. Do not ever, ever, ever be part of a church where they are not teaching the Word of God day by day, week by week, month by month, laying out what the Scripture says, going to all parts of the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, working through longer passages, focusing in on, on key concepts and ideas. We have to do that. And church leaders have to be selected based on their ability to properly handle and pass on the Scripture and also based on their godly character. That's what's essential. Not, you know, the person's a great businessman. Look how well their business is done. Well, that might be the case. But can they handle the Word of God? Do they have a, a godly life? This is so essential for the church. And let me say, too many local congregations, there is a temptation today to turn Sunday morning into a show. Okay? Make it all a show rather than being centered on word and sacrament. But Jesus hasn't promised to meet us in a show. And he doesn't promise to protect you and me from the infection of false teaching via a show. But he promises to meet us and protect us through word and through sacrament. That's where the Lord has promised to meet us. And as a result, when you're doing a show, too many of the teachings sound like a motivational TED Talk. If you want a motivational TED Talk, go to YouTube, look up TED Talk, and watch them. But when we gather as the church, we need the Word of God. Can anybody, am I coming across as passionate about this? I, I hope. This has marked my life. It is essential. And this church, dear God, I do not want to look down from heaven and say, 
why is that boob standing up front doing a TED Talk? Please, for the love of God, you who are younger and may still be here 40 years from now, make sure, it does not matter if everybody says, but, but sermons and all that, that's so 20th century. No, it's so way of God. It doesn't matter. This will never change. There are people today say it no longer works that way. Yes, it does. God says it works that way. Human beings have not changed. The need of your soul and the need of my soul has not been altered. I can't be, you know, televised into this. I can't, you know, watch some comedy. There's not some other way to do this. It is the careful preaching of the Word of God and then the display of a godly character. So I urge you in doing this, it's so essential. We must always make sure that we have leaders who fulfill the requirements in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, which are largely about character. Ask ourselves, do I want to see that kind of character developed in me? And parents, please hear me. This is a huge temptation. I have watched this over and over again, and it is so disheartening. Never choose a church because it's popular. It feels, I just feel good every week when I leave. It has the popular worship team. Or the, the worst, my kids want to go there because it's got cool children's ministry. I mean, they built a skate park over here, yet their kids are all turning out to hate Jesus at the end of it, and I'm not making that up. The data is in. Cool youth ministry that does not teach the Word of God, and I applaud Simeon because here they are teaching the Word of God. They are teaching the kids how to dig into Scripture. If you don't do that, all you're doing, to use medical terminology, is vaccinating them against the faith so they don't catch the real thing. And we've seen that over and over and over again. People pick churches by the silliest things. Are they teaching the Word of God? Do I see godly character? And so... I, I want to urge you and encourage you. And parents, please always check that. It's not about our kids being all excited about this. Are we being taught the word of God? Parents, are you teaching your kids at home with the word of God? That leads to the second area, which is fighting the good fight as individuals and families. Paul does speak this specifically to church leaders, but look, the same principles apply. They always do. It's not like leaders are super Christians or something. It's just Paul says, and Peter says, and Jesus says, make sure they're doing what I'm telling all of you to do. You got to make sure they're at least doing it, okay? So the same thing applies to us. Only the sustained intake of the Word of God can protect me from being infected by the false ideas that surround me, and they may even be promoted by churches. See, this is getting harder and harder and harder because we, we live right now, you live in such an internet-connected world. We are all plugged into it whether you want to be or not. And the ideas are floating around and things are taken for granted. I regularly read newspaper articles and they will be saying there are these people 
and they don't use these exact terms, but these people are actually believing the moral system that the Bible has. And I'm supposed to go, ah, oh my God. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Of course there are. But see, it's assumed in the culture. These are relics of the past that would think that way. That idea is pressed upon you and me. They are trying to mold, shape the way we view. They are trying to put spectacles on our eyes to make us view the world in a radically ungodly way. And there is only one protection, and that is the Word of God. So the question is, how is my intake of the Word of God? Now look at these two quotes up here that speak to this issue. Brett McCracken at the Gospel Coalition website wrote this, we're too distracted by trending words, with the hashtag, to savor the timeless word. And then Ken Boa, actually at a C.S. Lewis Institute Fellows meeting, said this recently, our ratio of word to world is way out of balance. And he did not mean by that that we were getting too much word. Okay? So... Notice what both of them are saying. Christians today, one of our problems, why false teaching can grab such a root in the church is we are better schooled in the latest trending words. We are better schooled in what the ideas are and the things going on because we're spending more time doing that than we are in the Word of God. So let me ask one or two questions of us. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, will you first soak in the Word, or I wonder what happened overnight, hmm, let me see what the latest news is, or you know what, I'm just going to check social media for a minute, or I'm going to check the sports scores, which is first? Now, please hear me, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, like you're not a Christian if you do the other, but, but challenge yourself and think through. What's the first thing I do? It's easy to fall into a bad habit. So first thing I'm going to do tomorrow morning is wake up and have a quiet time. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to preach next Sunday. I'm just going to get before Jesus and say, speak, O Lord, your servant listens. And then I'm going to start spending time in prayer, first off, for my family. That's the very first thing I'm going to do before I get to anything else. Is that what we do? And then think throughout the day tomorrow. Do I spend more time in the Word or reading the news, social media, sports page, fill in the blank, following my favorite Instagram influencer? Dear God, I hope it's not that. Which one do I spend more time doing? Because let me tell you, if I spend hours and hours a day following social media, for example, I'm going to come back to this next week, which is nothing but an endless stream of quarreling over words and the very things Paul said don't do, do I spend hours doing that and then five minutes in the Word and say, I wonder why I... I just spiritually don't feel that healthy. Uh. <laughs> well, mainly because you're eating infection all day, every day, 
and then trying to take a little pill to get rid of it. Doesn't work that way. Which do I do? And so, and I, I want to encourage you, families, we have to, we must regularly teach the Word of God to our kids, and if you're a grandparent like I am now, to our grandkids. And if you say, I would like to, but you know, the kids have got school, and then they're on this team, and then there's this social club, and they're doing this, stop the other stuff. Their soul is at stake. They will not stand in heaven and say, I'm so sad I didn't get to be on that team or do this thing. My parents had me in the work. Now, can you do both? You can. But if you're saying, I can't, the thing to be cut out is not the Word of God. Ever, ever, ever to be cut out is the Word of God. And parents, as we're doing this, and then we'll come to the Lord's table, do I display godly character? Because see, that's the second part. Am I not only teaching the Word, but am I displaying godly character? It's not just for leaders, it's for all of us. So am I growing in godliness, putting away sin, and practicing righteousness? Parents, are we at home displaying a love for the Word of God and godly character? Because here's the scary thing I discovered in raising four kids. Your kids will become what you are, not what you want them to be. So, do I use foul language? Because if you do, you're saying, children, I want you to grow up and be foul-mouthed. I want you to blaspheme God with your lips. That's what I want. Whatever else I say about the Bible and everything else, my words tell you this is the character I want repeated. Do I treat my spouse in a way that says, young ladies, this is how a man should teach you. He should berate you, scream at you, be nasty towards you. Children, learn this because that's what we're doing. Do we say, be petty and bicker back and forth? Because we are training them to be what we are. Day by day, week by week, month by month. And this is true for all of us with our coworkers, with you know, our neighbors, our extended family members. Are we letting the Holy Spirit work this in us? Now, this is challenging. Every bit of this. But brothers and sisters, see like Paul brings up here, did you notice, this stuff spreads like gangrene. What happens if gangrene gets in my arm? What, what do they often have to do to my arm? Yeah, I looked it up the other day. I thought, you know, well, surely we've gotten our medical technology past that. One of the first things it said is, might have to be amputated. This is serious. We, we, we don't want gangrene as a church, as a family. We don't want it in our marriage. I don't want it in my life. And the good news is the Lord has made it so that it need not be there. And the way is not strange. It's by word 
and sacraments. The Lord promises that if we will approach and we will hear and we will receive with faith and, and say, Holy Spirit, work this in me, that he will do that. Or I can be sitting here and thinking, you know, I, I wonder if the game started yet. And then I get a little juice and a little bread. Then I hear some guy read some old, old words. But it's do I receive in faith. I want to encourage us to do this and to make sure that we receive. If you are here and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are welcome at this table. You do not have to be a member of our church, but you do have to be one who is a true believer, that you understand our only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ. If you have received the grace of God in Christ, we encourage you to come. If not, then we encourage you to let it pass. So brothers and sisters, hear now God's word of invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. For is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And let me say, as we coming here, if there are any of the things that were convicting, if maybe you say, I'm a parent and I realize I've not been doing this, or I've been treating my spouse wrongly, or I've not been living this out, now's the time to confess to the Lord. It's not a, oh, there's nothing. No, when, when I've got an infection, I receive that which is going to fight out the infection. But, but I do have to own up. See, I don't go get an IV drip in my arm if I don't think I have an infection. So the first thing is letting the Holy Spirit reveal to me, mm, Lord, I've let this slip in and get hold of me. If the Spirit of God has convicted you of that, confess, repent, and ask the Holy Spirit as we're doing this to strengthen me so that I walk differently tomorrow. Go ahead and open up to take the bread. Jesus, you said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. In taking this bread, we profess that you are the eternal Son of God, the source of life and all its blessings, and the only door to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, take and eat, letting your soul feast upon Christ, the true bread of heaven. Jesus, you said, I tell you the truth. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus, we take this cup in faith, professing that you are the source of life, the fount of every blessing, and we receive you and all of your blessings and your cleansing from sin by faith alone. Take and drink, slaking the thirst of your soul on Christ. Let's stand together. And I'm going to, as I do most weeks, cry out to the Holy Spirit, and I encourage you to cry out along with me. And again, if the Lord has brought areas of sin to mind, ask the Spirit to work in you in those things this week. Holy Spirit, you are the Lord, the giver of life. You spoke through the prophets and apostles, giving us the very life-giving word of God. And you illumined the word for us so that we might understand its teachings. And then you empower us so that we might apply it to our lives. And Spirit of God, as we gather each week, you work through the simple elements of this covenant meal so that our souls are fed with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask now, O Holy Spirit, that you would send us forth to speak the truth in this world of error, to display beauty in the midst of a culture deformed by sin, and to walk in holiness in this land of moral decay. Spirit of God, Draw us to the Father and the Son. Spirit of God, drive sin far from our hearts. Spirit of God, renew our minds and fashion our wills so that we would hate sin and we would love our God with every fiber of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We ask this in the name of our glorious, beautiful Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Brothers and sisters, go forth full of the spirit and blessings of God and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.